Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is found on page 866 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. The God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. And they asked him, who is this man that you said to you, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Is that a rhetorical question? My teachers used to use that phrase all throughout my childhood, and I never knew what a rhetorical question was. They would be sitting there giving some sort of lecture in our class, and they would ask a question, and we would all raise our hands, and the teacher would say, no, no, put your hands down. It's a rhetorical question. Or I might ask a question thinking I was being very brilliant, because as you know, I was a brilliant child. I would raise my hand, ask a question, and she would look at me and say, is that a rhetorical question? Making me think my question was not as brilliant as I thought it was. But finally, I did finally learn what a rhetorical question was. It happened one day when I was home, believe it or not, by myself. My mother had gone out to run a couple of errands. I was probably in fifth grade, maybe something like that. And with my mother gone, I thought this is a perfect opportunity to do some things that my mother would not like me to do, namely throw the ball in the house. I was throwing the ball back and forth. It was a little stuffed football, and I was 
pretending that I was a Georgia Bulldog winning a coveted national championship, which at that time we had not won in quite so many years. We don't have to worry about that right now. But I was playing back and forth, and the ball slipped out of my hand and hit a cuckoo clock on the wall, an antique cuckoo clock, and knocked it off the wall, and it shattered into a, a dozen pieces. And I realized I was in trouble. I couldn't put it back together. There was nothing I could do, so I just gathered up all the pieces, set them on the kitchen table, and waited for Mom to come home. She saw the cuckoo clock there, and she asked me what happened. I told her. I confessed immediately. I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. I apologized. I awaited my punishment. And she said, I just have one question. What were you thinking? And hearing my teacher in my mind, I said, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> I doubled my punishment by asking that. But the truth of the matter is, it was a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question, by its very nature, is a tool of rhetoric, just like we use anytime we give a speech, anytime we teach a class, anytime we're trying to persuade someone of some sort of argument. Teachers use rhetorical questions just like they use other forms of rhetoric, like, like pauses in a sermon, or, or parallelisms and repetition. We use all these forms of rhetoric when we're trying to make an argument or we're trying to get somebody to think about something, and that's what a rhetorical question is. I actually began this sermon with a rhetorical question, just to pause, just to set up an argument so that we can think about something. You may know the answer to that question, or you may need to think about it for a little bit, but that's what a rhetorical question is. It sets up a, a, an argument or sets up a, a moment of teaching, and, and Jesus used rhetorical questions all the time. There were times when he asked questions of his disciples where they knew the answer, but he really wanted them to pause and think about what he was really talking about, those layers to those questions. There were times when he asked questions of his opponents, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to try to, to trap them while they were trying to trap him. He used rhetorical questions all the time, and I think he uses a rhetorical question in the passage I just read to you. He asks the man, do you want to be made well. It's a rhetorical question because of course we would think this man would want to be made well. He's been sitting by this pool for 38 years, this pool that in our Bible was called Bethzatha. Other people call it Bethesda. You might have heard that word before. A pool right inside the walls of Jerusalem, right by the sheep gate where people would bring their livestock into Jerusalem to, to sell their livestock and trade their livestock. Right inside there, there was this great pool built called Bethzatha or Bethesda. And the people of Jerusalem believed that it had very spiritual, almost magical powers that somehow, some way, it would bubble up from time to time, almost like there was a spring underneath it. And when those bubbles would come up, the people of Jerusalem believed that there was an angel of healing sent from God to stir up the water. And if you needed to be healed, you could dive into that water, swim in that water, bathe in that water, and it would heal you. That's what they believed. And so as you might imagine, this pool of Bethesda was surrounded by people who were sick, surrounded by people who were hurting, surrounded by people who had disabilities, surrounded by people who had needs, who were spiritually unclean. Well, along comes Jesus. 
It's a festival. We don't know exactly what festival it is, but it's also the Sabbath day of that festival. But rather than going directly to the temple, guess where Jesus goes? He goes to the place where he knows there are people who need healing. And while he is there, he sees a man. We don't know exactly what his ailment is, but we know he has suffered from it for 38 years. And that man catches his eye and he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Now, like I say, that's a simple question. Maybe even seems like a sarcastic question. After 38 years, of course, he would want to be made well. But maybe it's a rhetorical question. A question that's meant to make us think a little bit. Now, before we dive headlong into that question, I do want to pause and take a moment and compare Jesus' question, the way Jesus responds to this man, to the way that the Jews, or probably the Pharisees, respond to this man. As I said, Jesus asks this question, do you want to be made well? And after the man assures him he does, but he can't get into the pool, Jesus doesn't even tell him he needs to get into the pool. He just says, take up your mat and walk, and he's immediately healed. As he's walking with his mat, the Jews, or probably the Pharisees, see him, and without asking a single question, they point to him and say, you're breaking the law. You're carrying your mat on the Sabbath day. What are you doing? You're breaking the law. Without asking a single question, they make a statement of judgment upon this man. Jesus asks questions, but the Jews, the Pharisees, make pronouncements, pronouncements of judgment. I think that's an important distinguishment for us to make because I dare say there are times in my life where I do the exact same thing. There'll be times where I'm sitting out pumping my gas and someone will come up to me and ask me for money and the first thing that happens in my mind, this person who is in need, the first thing I think about is, why doesn't this person have a job? Why can't this person leave me alone? Can't they see I'm busy? I pass judgment. Or I see someone across the political aisle who I know is going to vote differently than me. And the first thing I do is I pass judgment. I say, well, they're doing this because they want money. Or they're doing this because they're trying to save their job. Or they're doing this because I don't really care why they're doing this. And I don't ask questions. I make statements. Or we see someone who dresses differently than us, identifies themselves differently than us in ways that make us uncomfortable. And instead of asking questions, we make statements just simply saying they're wrong or they're trying to get attention or they don't know what they're doing. It happens all the time for us. And I dare say the church does that quite well, has done that quite well over the years. One of my favorite stories from C.S. Lewis kind of illustrates that point. He was walking through the streets of Belfast one day with a friend of his, and as they were walking along, they came upon a homeless person who turned and, of course, asked C.S. Lewis for money. Well, without asking any questions, C.S. Lewis just reached in his pocket and gave him several pounds, and they kept right on going. But before too long, his friend reached out to him and said, Lewis, how could you do that? Why did you give him that money? You know he's just going to waste that money. You know he's going to be sitting there asking for money tomorrow. You know he's going to take that money and just drink it away. C.S. Lewis thought for just a minute and said, you know what, I don't know what he's going to do with that money. But if I kept it, I would drink it away. We make pronouncements. 
we pass judgment rather than asking questions. This past year when Julianne and I were in Montreat, we saw a, a young student walking around and on her t-shirt she had the phrase, be curious, not judgmental. Came from a television show that is pretty popular right now. Be curious, not judgmental. I have to tell you that phrase has really convicted me over the past year since we were in Montreat. Because there are lots of times where my default is to be judgmental rather than to pause and ask questions and be curious. Because after all, that's what Jesus does. He asks a question. Do you want to be made well? He doesn't make a pronouncement. He starts by asking a question. Do you want to be made well? Now, like I said before, that's probably a question that seems kind of silly, seems kind of sarcastic. Of course, this man would want to be made well. But maybe Jesus asked the question because there are different layers to it. He wants us to think it's a rhetorical question. He wants us to pause a minute and think about the different layers of meaning of that question because there are different layers, in fact. Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who was a New Testament professor and a Presbyterian minister for many years, he wrote a book called Seeing Jesus Through the Middle Eastern Eyes. And in that book, he talks about how the people who were, who were unclean, the people who were unhealthy, the people in the world who were sick and in need, the people that Jesus tried to heal when he offered them healing, it was always more than a physical dilemma. That when he looked at someone like the man in our story and offered them healing, he was offering them more than that. It was not just about changing their bodies, but it was about changing their whole lives. When Jesus asked them, do you want to be healed? What he's really asking them is, do you want to be changed? Do you want your life to be different? Do you want to stop having people come and help you and start going out into the world and helping others? Do you want to be able to do all the things as a, a, a spiritually clean person that you're responsible for doing, like going to the temple, like worshiping God, like devoting yourself to God rather than simply staying here like you've done for 38 years? That's a deeper question. Of course I want my physical ailments to be healed, but do I want to really change? That's not as simple of a question. Because I dare say, most of us come to church each week, we don't really come here looking to be changed. Most of, most of us come liking the lives that we live, liking the ways that we have figured out how to live our lives and, and figure out our value. We are so happy to continue to live the life just the way we are. We're quite comfortable, especially here in our church. We're quite comfortable being the people that we are, but Jesus Christ asks us, do you want to be changed? Do you want to be different? Do you want to be made well? I've shared, you, shared with you this illustration before. It's a story that Will Willeman told when he was a pastor at, or the chaplain, I'm sorry, at Duke Divinity School. He said in the 20-some-odd years that he was the chaplain at Duke Divinity School, he probably got 15 or 20 letters or so from angry parents. 
But to his surprise, all of those angry letters, none of them said things like, what are you doing to my, my child? They've gone to college and they've started drinking too much. Or, or what are you doing to my child? They've gone to college and they've become sexually promiscuous. Or what are you all doing to my child? My, they've gone to college and they're wasting money day by day. No, all of these letters of anger that came to Will Williman said things like, what have you done to my child? They've become religious fanatics. My child, who was supposed to be a doctor, now wants to go to Haiti and serve in a hospital in the middle of nowhere. My child, who was supposed to come home and run the family business, now wants to go and be a minister somewhere. My child, who was supposed to be a lawyer, is now wanting to go and and help people and, and not make much money at all. My child is not who I wanted them to be. I planned for them to be. What have you done to my child? So often, when Jesus Christ asks us, do you want to change? Do you want to be made well? Our first reaction might be, actually, I'm kind of content the way things are. But that's what Jesus Christ asks this man. He's not just asking him if he wants his physical ailments to go away. He's asking him if he wants his life to change. Maybe a better question is, do you want to be made new? That's a rhetorical question. It's one we have to think about for a little while. Because being made new means that we have to change our lives. We have to treat other people the way God treats us with love and sacrifice and devotion, kindness and compassion. At first glance at the rest of this story, it might seem like the man didn't change his life at all. We look at this little story, the man finds out who Jesus is, runs right back and It's a tattletale, tells those Jews exactly who Jesus is, points him out and says, there's the one who caused all the trouble. It wasn't my fault that I broke the law, it was him. But if you read that passage a little bit more closely, you can see that something did change. Because where did he bump into Jesus? He bumped into Jesus in the temple, the place before where he was never allowed to go. The place before where he was unclean and couldn't walk into the inner parts of the temple and share his devotion with God. He bumped into Jesus in a place where he could never go before, before his life was changed. And that's how it happens little by little. When we accept the invitation of Jesus Christ, our lives are changed. We don't value the same things we do anymore. We don't pronounce judgments on other people the way we used to, but we draw people in with curious questions of love. And so Jesus asks us a question. Do you want to be made well? Or maybe better yet, do you want to be made new? Maybe better yet, do you want your life to be different? Well, that's probably a question we need to think about for a little bit. To the glory of God. Amen.